what's up everybody this is judy that you're listening to mad love welcome 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 let's get into it so yeah the cbd gummies are working uh my mom is not up at three in the morning four in the morning she gets up early and you know i think that's okay i mean i would prefer not to get up <sighs> look at this i don't yawn that's the thing why would i start yawning when i start doing my podcast i'm not bored I love doing this podcast. Why else would I keep doing it? It's not making me rich. I don't know. Anyway, don't take it personally. I'm just so relaxed. Anyway, so the gummies are working. She still gets up when I get up, and I prefer that she didn't because I like some alone time. But, you know, it's it's so much better than fighting with her all night. I mean, it had gotten to the point where she might only lay down and go to sleep till like 11 p.m. and then be up every hour on the hour waking me up. So that was horrible. And that was, that was, I want to say June, definitely by July. So July, August, certainly by my birthday, September, it was just a nightmare, you know, and it started a little bit and then it was just constant. She just, and then it's not like she's awake and uh, pleasant. She was awake and annoying and and uh, in like these heightened anxiety states. It was really, really uh, uh, horrible. And uh, the CBD just sort of mellows out her edges. And, uh, you know, she still has Alzheimer's. She was talking very strangely just before I left. She was saying something about, you know, she hopes people aren't about to get into a gang war and I'm like a gang war I she then she said the people who own these towels are dish towels I'm like I'm pretty sure there's no gang activity in here so yeah I'm not saying it's a cure-all it's not but it keeps the person calm and you can't imagine like when they get gripped by anxiety and my mom has probably always had an anxiety issue but she could control it better And you could talk her off the ledge with some logic, but with the dementia, you can't. So it's much, much better. I can't believe this. Dude, I haven't yawned all morning. Thank you, though. I'm so sorry. That's annoying. So anyway, it's better. And for everybody who was curious, thank you. The uh, gummies seem to be... Now I got to get some daytime gummies because these are nighttime gummies. And so when I give her one during the day, she's just like immediately super sleepy, but... I had to give her one yesterday because I was I was really trying to get something done for work and she would not. She just wasn't chill. Like she was throwing things away and over cleaning. And I was like, what is happening? And uh, after about five or six hours of that, I was like, you, you for real, you got to chill. So I gave her a gummy. I know uh, that's just going to be our thing. Want some candy? <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoyed that Elvis movie more than I thought I would. Tom Hanks was good, although uh, the accent did get a little weird and annoying. I'm not sure he sounded like that all the time, but he definitely was born in the Netherlands. Excuse me, this Colonel Tom Parker. I never knew that Colonel Tom Parker wasn't really his name or his identity. He just made it all up. was an illegal alien. Um but yeah, that movie wasn't bad. And occasionally, like, I, I don't know that people with this podcast would know this, but people who really know me know that my whole goal 
The only thing I ever wanted to do was to make movies. When I was 17 and I got to Howard and I picked my major, I picked my career. And that's what I didn't understand is how to make money until you can become a filmmaker. And then like the film industry was so grimy. I had an internship at Warner Brothers and like nobody took me under their wing. Like I learned more about how cold the business was than I did, uh, you know, anything else. It wasn't a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings there. And I only got to spend two weeks on the lot, but I, I saw quite a bit. And I saw a lot of names that I recognized of children who were working in the studio system. So I, I felt very strongly that there was a ton of nepotism. Speaking of which, Courtney Valenti, I think, helped produce this Elvis movie, and she's Jack Valenti's daughter. And he was the head of, I think, the MPAA forever. And she looks just like him, too. At least back then, when I saw her, I was like, oh, Courtney Valenti is definitely related to Jack Valenti. <laughs> she looked just like him. And, um, you know, kudos to her, because a lot of the execs that I uh, destroyed their phone calls for two weeks, um, they have gone on to have really illustrious production careers certainly with Warner Brothers, uh, Bill Gerber, um, he's one of them, Tom LaSalle is one of them, and now Courtney Valenti, so that's kind of cool, and, uh, I remember them, I know they don't remember me at all, uh, so, yeah, it's just, you know, that's all I've ever wanted to do, is to make movies, and then now, of course, there's streaming, which that wasn't a thing when I was in college, so, you know, um, I have a show idea, and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to get it from my brain to the to the screen. I'd like to film the pilot myself because that way I, I can set the tone of the show. And also um, I'd be able to enter as a partner and not as a beggar. Because when you come in and studios have to finance everything, like it, they feel like they can make all these notes and shit. And, you know, listen... Tyler Perry, that's what I respect the most about him is, you know, he bypassed all of that. No matter how you feel about his work, um, he gets to do what he wants to do. And and no, no filmmaker would turn that down. Everybody who does this would love the opportunity to make their show. So what people don't understand is a lot of times when you go in to make a TV show or you going in to make a movie, you get all these notes. And you get notes from executives through the whole process. I mean, I was inundated with notes, and we were just in pre-production on a on a script that I wrote a few, like a few decades ago now. But it was like crazy, and it was like, man, they really want to come in and change everything. And it's almost like the nature of the business. As soon as you could, uh, submit something, somebody wants to make changes. And it's like, if you just love the script so much, why do we have to change so much about it? You know, it's almost like they have to prove that they have some value. So, you know, I don't want to be any part of that. I'm I'm well past the age of uh, wanting to be too flexible because, you know, at first you're desperate and you need the money and you want to do a good job. And then they come in and rape your project. And depending on who you get, you know, some some executives uh, can't wait to try to twist your project into something else. You know, they buy your script and then they want to turn it into something else. And it's like, what was the point of this? And you have to earn that respect for them to leave you alone. You know, 
nobody's trying to give Steven Spielberg scripts, uh, notes at this point, but you seriously, you know, I, I kind of jealous of the time frame that they entered the film business, Spielberg and Scorsese and, and, um, Terrence Malick and, uh, Brian De Palma, because there was no structure. Everything had fallen apart. The whole studio system was just struggling to, to stay alive because they had just been so locked in on those musicals and those big budget pictures from the 40s and 50s and early 60s that by the late 60s, they were just like, we're, we're you know, do whatever you want, kid. <laughs> and so they like came in and, and really introduced the modern version of cinema that was pretty solid for about 30 years, you know, uh, very character driven. You got your De Niro's, you got your Pacino's. Uh, they all came up out of that era, you know, and they just started telling stories about real people and you didn't have to be like beautiful, uh, to be a lead actor, you know? And, uh, it was, it was fascinating. And actually I was watching a Brian De Palma, um, a documentary, which was really kind of funny because he narrates the thing himself, and he's he's really a, kind of like got a dry sense of humor, and uh, you know it was him who actually discovered uh, Robert De Niro, uh, so that was interesting because you think of De Niro and Scorsese together, but uh, I really cracked up because my cousin, my cousin Teddy told me about this movie called Hi Mom and it's written by Brian De Palma and directed by Brian De Palma I don't think I'm not sure if he wrote it or not but uh it stars Robert De Niro and in it there is a portion of the movie about uh uh like these Black Panthers and they they give you a, a immersive experience so they have these white people um who go to this, I think it's supposed to be put on like a play, but it's really an immersive experience. And De Palma didn't tell the people. He never let the actors who were playing the white people going to the show even know or meet these uh, people playing like a version of the Black Panthers. (laughs) So he just filmed their real terror. They had no, they had no idea that these people were gonna do what they were doing. So it's like they get they pretend to rape a woman. They're screaming. They just talking shit and just going crazy in this elevator. And uh, Scorsese, not Scorsese. I'm sorry. De Palma is retelling the story, and he's just sort of like, yeah, and like they didn't know, and uh, like they were really. I just filmed their real terror. <laughs> Now, you know, good and well, they would never let you make a movie like that now. No one would even leave you alone long enough to terrorize the actors like that. But that would be really funny. And he was just real cavalier about it. That's what was hilarious. So, yeah. Um, and his to, for the record, his uh, Mission Impossible was my favorite Mission Impossible. The one in 96 with uh, uh, Tom Cruise uh, coming down into the audience on well not in the audience he was coming down into that room where he had to be completely silent and he had to catch his sweat in his own hand because that would set off the sensor uh that was amazing because the audience was so quiet too you know it was sort of like 
we all got to be quiet. It was fantastic. So, yeah, anyway, I'm a filmmaker. That's how I see myself. Uh, One of my friends told me they enjoy when I talk about film. And I'm like, I don't talk about it that much. Uh, Oh, I did get another entry for uh, having to be pleasing when they didn't want to be. Have not had time to edit that yet, but I'm going to put it up there because I just think it's an interesting concept. Um, There's certainly times in my life where I felt like I had to be a pleasing personality because I'm a girl and that's just what girls do. Um, I often feel the pressure at work, especially if you work in environments and I've had many interesting jobs. Some of them really have been like traditional uh, roles for men and women and they really expect the women to just sort of eat shit and smile. It's very strange. You know, yeah, you're not going to make as much money, but smile about it. It's very, very weird. And with all this wokeness and all the stuff people are passionate and caring about, it never seems to change. You know, we're still underpaid and undervalued in a lot of ways. Um, the Tyree Nichols situation, it still sounds like to me, apparently this guy, the Demetrius Haley guy, he took pictures on the scene. You can see that he takes pictures of Tyree, but he sends it to five people. One of one one unidentified female, and his parents are trying to say that that's not an ex girlfriend, that they don't, that's not Tyree's girlfriend, and this Haley's ex uh, girlfriend or baby mom or whatever she is to him, uh, that that they don't know anything about. I think they may have been instructed by a prosecutor to try to say that, to try to to you know pull the heat off the case uh, and get some attention because get some attention off of that because that might be their argument. But seriously, uh, the internet has receipts and he sent this video to five people, one female and uh, the other people were, one is unidentified and the other people worked in, you know, Memphis police, I think. So it's just really, really sad that someone will lose their life behind something so petty. But I assure you with a lot of certainty that this happens every day. This whole notion that I can kill you because you used to be with me and now you're with somebody else and that that's a good enough motive for me to kill you is, it happens all the time. It's it's happening more frequently than you would think. And I'm not sure if we have just not given people enough emotional intelligence or we made people, uh, you know, too egotistical is this some shit because you see the new person on their social media you get embarrassed I don't know but it is it is not just this guy he used his position and his uh police companions to go whoop somebody's ass to death um but there are a lot of regular folks doing this too and it is alarming it is alarming this that's not even domestic violence that's just violence and petty and insecure my goodness. So it seems like this is a real thing that, that, uh, and I, I knew it would be different because of the race of the officers, but this should give us an opportunity to have a real conversation about, uh, police culture. Um, I've only been harassed by black police officers, uh, just doing inappropriate things. One dude was trying to holler and I was like, you, Either give me the ticket. He made it seem like like he just started flirting with me or whatever. Like I'm like, look, just give me the ticket. You 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 
he had like cross eyes and it was like you're bullying me and you're giving me a bullshit ticket anyway because I'm parked in front of my house during a snowstorm and you're giving me a ticket for uh, blocking my own driveway that was bs and then he was cross-eyed and trying to ask me out I'm like so you're extorting me great so you know I didn't use that word with him because he was cross-eyed and I just assumed he didn't know the word so I uh, went up to his boss and gave the ticket back um the other time this dude again in that same neighborhood I pulled in front of my mom's house and I had a headlight out he didn't want to write me a warning or anything. He let me sit in front of my house with that light in the rear, in my rear view mirror, in my eyes for 30 minutes while he wrote this bullshit ticket and was menacing and grim. And I thought some horrible thoughts about him, but he was really like the cop from, uh, um, what's his name's movie, uh, boys in the hood. He was just menacing. And it was like, if those people that I used to hate to live across the street from hadn't been outside staring at the whole thing, I don't know what this guy would have done to me. Because he was way overly aggressive for a fucking headlight. So we need to have this conversation about police culture and how some people take use it as an opportunity to fuck up their own people. Because they think they'll get away with it because no one cares about black people getting beat up by the police. Well, that's wrong. And it's always wrong and it should be addressed. Good cops are getting pummeled because of these terrible cops. You know, there are bad police officers. I absolutely agree. And I can name some. (laughs) But I digress. (laughs) So, I mean, we need to have real conversations. And this country, you know, I think it's terrible that the lady got up and started shouting at the president during the State of the Union. Who thinks that's classy? Why is that? How is that? I just don't even... How is that progress? How have we gotten to this point? I mean, in a very real way, we're just short of having duels. You know? Let's just shoot it out. I mean, we're not that sophisticated. People are having duels on their own now. They're like, well, I don't need to wait and walk to no island. I'm a, or walk somewhere. We used to have an. That's why I called it an island. We used to have an island here, in, uh, just in St. Louis. That was pretty much. That's what they did on the island is duel. I guess if you lost, they just throw you in the river. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, I hope everybody has an amazing Thursday. We're chugging right along, right through February. Tomorrow's Mizana's birthday. Mizana, I'm I'm not forgetting. I'm going to try to uh, figure out if I can get you a gift before tomorrow. <laughs> Time is just going so fast. Um, and I don't want to fail, so I'm, I'm putting pressure on myself by putting in this podcast. All right, everybody, be your best. Have an amazing day. And, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with me. I really do appreciate you guys. Continue to like, subscribe, share. Do what you do. Um, If you like this podcast, send it to a friend. Um, If you have a topic or an idea you want to talk about, get at me. uh, MadLovePodcast.com. Yeah. All right, everybody. Be good. Bye.